You're listening to Cinema Red Pill. I'm Sharon, and today I'm going to interview Kemiondo Cotino. Hi, Kemiondo. Hi, Sharon. How are you doing? Yes. Um, are you in LA right now? Yes, I am. Yes. But you, you were, you were here for a bit. I, I just did wrong timing. I think your, your, your movie started screening when you had moved to LA more often. Yes. Yeah. So I actually, it did its premiere at the beginning of this year in LA. So, but I, I was there for the Uganda premiere. Okay, uh, what we're talking about is Chenvu, but let me introduce you a bit better. So you're a writer, you're a director, and you're an actress. And uh, as far as I know, you've done the first work I saw of yours. Okay, personally, I'm going to look at this in my perspective. Uh, the first okay. work I saw of yours was a theater play, Kauna Yo It. Yeah. I saw that at one of the theater festivals. That uh, would have been at Kampala International Theater Festival. Yeah, right? exactly. That's when I saw it. And now you've released a short film. Is this your first short film? Yes. At the time, Chembu was my first. Well, I guess it will always be my first short film. Okay. Um, since then, I've done another short film for Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud. Oh, yes, we have to talk about uh, that. And yes. then, um, I just have finished the script for my third short film. Ooh, okay, that's interesting. Okay, so majority of the time I'm going to talk about Chenvu because it's the one I've seen, so I have more context on that. And uh, Chenvu has screened at multiple multiple festivals. I didn't even try to look up all the ones that are there because you. I think you are now... <laughs> Yes. You announce like a new one every week, so I can't keep up. <laughs> yeah, it's really surreal to look at the poster now and see all those festivals because yeah. I remember when it just had one and I was so grateful for that one. Mm-hmm. And then actually what really happened that a lot of people don't know is after the first festival, I had no traction. So like I wasn't getting accepted into other festivals and it was a little bit of a... You know, I was very lucky because Pan-African was the first festival I applied to, my first short film, then I was nominated, and then I won. So, like, oh. it was this unrealistic expectation of festivals. So, you know, mm. I was like, oh my God, this is what it's like, you know? And so, I waited, and I didn't get a lot of, I didn't get any like festivals for like maybe two and a half months and i remember even like crying i was like maybe they made a mistake with pan-african and um maybe it was just you know how imposter syndrome works yeah and i was like i guess chambu's run is over (sighs) and you know just as that happens then it started to like get accepted into one thing then Mm -hmm. another and then like the other day, I looked at the, the poster, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my gosh, all these laurels, which is, I don't even know when, when it happened, because now I'm telling the story, and I have no idea when all this happened, wow. but it is a, it's a roller coaster, the festival circuit, it really is. It has to be. That's an interesting perspective, because what i think the one the one other festival i had written down was zif zanzibar international film festival yes and yes. The, the times i've been at 
Ugandan festivals and there's someone from another country, they always say, oh my God, Ziff turned my life around. Like, because I was at yes. Ziff. Yes. <laughs> so did you have that effect? Yeah. The thing is with Ziff mm. is those are your people, yeah? Yeah. And Ziff was our African premiere. We had never screened it in Africa publicly. Okay. And so it was kind of like both worlds because they're Africans, but they're not Ugandans. Yeah. So, um, it's a very interesting experience because you, man, you know how it is. Some stories, you sometimes feel like, oh, maybe Americans liked it because there's this, like, love of African stories. But when you're screening back home, you're like, oh, Ooh, man. They're more critical for sure. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so to be recognized by Ziff in particular, which was an amazing festival. And Ziff mm-hmm. was actually the festival that I wrote. I have a I have a dream festival. I have a dream festival list okay. that I made before I started applying Chembu, and Ziff was the first one on my list. And so, for that to happen and then to be rewarded, you know, with that award, it was amazing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, these things where people are like, "This changed my life," mm-hmm. I'm always wary about that because <laughs> you made the film, you know. Yeah. So you changed your life and you know luck is really opportunity and preparation because mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet those people had other projects going on yeah and for so sure. what happens is you screen at zip and they're like do you have anything else and then you're like yes 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 um, but sometimes what happens is people scream and that's all they've done they're, they're writing the festival but you know people will be like yeah you shot this two years ago what have you been doing since and so if there's anything i can ever advise filmmakers is like have something else you know yes do you know i learned about that like last week because it was actually a writer talking about it like never enter a room with just one idea have like three scripts in preparation yes oh that's that's great advice that's really great advice because what it says is like we might think it's a fluke, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, also, why you, why like, for instance, Chempu was, was I shot it two years ago, literally. Mm-hmm. So what have I been doing in the past two years? Just mm-hmm. writing on Chempu? That's not. That's no. not someone I want to give money to, you know. Okay. Um. Now. I've been seeing. I've read a lot of stuff. I've read of interviews you've done. A lot of the videos in the festival. I hope I'm not repetitive. I'm going to try my best not to be repetitive. <laughs> For sure, I already know the story of how what was inspired by the story and how you were inspired by a true story and um, how you started writing about this from the mini skirt bill, which was part of the anti-pornography yes. bill. And yes. so my question regards to that is in writing because you started with a problem when you were writing this so i wanted to know your process in starting from a problem and then trying to build a story around a problem how what was that like Mm. you know that's the most interesting question i've ever been asked about i hope Uh, i hope i keep this up (laughs) i get always the same questions and i sound like i'm repetitive (laughs) um so what it is 
I, I in some ways instinctively always write from problems mm-hmm. uh, because I think that's where my my calling comes. I like see a problem mm-hmm. and I want to address it, but I'm an artist and the only way I know how is through writing, is through art. Mm-hmm. And so what I think with this, there were two things I wanted to address. I didn't want it to be from the Western perspective. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing. I was like, okay, if I'm going to tell the story, there has to be more. Like, for instance, so I, I had based it on a real story, mm-hmm. something that had happened to my friend. Yeah. Um, I knew that essentially what was going to happen was at the taxi scene. So mm-hmm. I always knew that. Yeah. So then I started to ask myself, well, what else happens at the taxi scene, right? Mm-hmm. So then I was like, oh, you know, I wonder what love looks like at the taxi scene. <laughs> like, I wonder what it's like to be vibed at a taxi at a taxi stage. Mm-hmm. And I love the setting of a taxi because so many classes interact in a taxi. But you have to know your characters very well. I usually base my characters on real people. So I choose, oh, who is him in my life? Like, who is that person? And I'm like, okay, he operates like this. Mm-hmm. And, and her, I based a lot of it on me, right? Yeah. So now I have another layer, which is that I'm a light-skinned, privileged, Ugandan girl <laughs> mm-hmm. who doesn't sound Ugandan, who doesn't sound anything, to be honest. Um, because there's no country that claims my dialect because you know in Uganda they're like you sound South African in South Africa they're like you sound American in America they well they don't know what I sound like they just know I'm not American okay so I had to address that like being an outsider mm-hmm. in your own country and then from there I start to wonder as a feminist yeah what does love look like or you know what does it feel like? Where do I fall short in my own feminism, mm-hmm. in my own need for love, in my own search for affection? Yeah. And I just start layering on top of this. And why I do that is because I feel like if all you get from Chenbu when you watch it is a story of, oh, she got harassed, then I feel like I failed as a writer. I feel like I've failed the audience whose time is 20 minutes. I feel like I've failed as a director. Because I feel like you should get at least three, four things from that film. Because (laughs) I think that I get three, four things. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. And in regards to that, because with this, it ended up mixing three different things. I picked up on three just circumstances there was the funny there was romance and then there was tragedy yes so this is in the instance of directing because one of my favorite descriptions of film is when someone described it as tonal management you have to manage the tone so how did you manage those three tones and was there any difficulty while we were trying to manage those three and make them work together 
that's very interesting that that I could I could see why someone would say that. Mm-hmm. Definitely not my perspective. I think a scene has its own tone. Okay. And I think you just have to respect each scene. So the way I would direct, like for instance, those love scenes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Michael would come very serious, right? I would say, Michael, you're playing the end of the film. Like <laughs> we're not there. You know, why are you so serious? Like, there's a a chick, you're interested in her. Like, don't watch the whole film with tragedy. So, what we started doing was just dealing with each scene. Mm. It takes a level of forgetting what's coming, both as an actor, as a director. Mm. You kind of have to forget about the writer. Those, Those two scenes are completely different. The taxi scene and the shower scene. Mm. are written completely different with a different set of mind i remember even in the editing room looking at it and i i felt like i couldn't recognize myself in the shower scene and when i flashed back to like the bright eyed person in the first scene Mm. it felt like two different people and then i had the realization like oh yes that's what that's what harassment and assault and rape does it changes you it changes um but I didn't direct with that in mind. I can't say that. I just directed like, this is this scene. Let's focus on this scene. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on a crush. Mm-hmm. And so then whatever comes from that comes from that. And in the shower, it's a different scene. Um, that was so I, what I was about to ask you. The editing process must have been where you could see the jarring difference and putting it all yes, together. Yes. yes. In case of music, for example, you were, is that when you made the music, de- the music decisions at that point to at least set the tone? Let me just say, mm-hmm. and I'll say this to any person who has never made a film and is thinking about being a, making a film. Mm-hmm. Your first film experience, it's like nothing. You'll never have that experience again because <laughs> you, you're going on that. You don't know anything if I'm honest. <laughs> you know? And so it's a beautiful experience. You're like, oh, I think this goes with it. You're not, you're not thinking, or at least I'm not. I didn't go to film school. I went to acting school, and I and I did a writing course. But everything is self-taught, you know. Okay. So I'm not thinking, oh, what tone? I'm just thinking, oh, this makes me feel this way, and how can I accentuate that? Uh, That's what I was thinking. Okay. Um, and I think that only happens in your first film because the bar is so <laughs> low. <laughs> now your moves are calculated. <laughs> you, yeah, now, now I'm so aware of everything. I'm so aware of how it should go. I'm so aware of, of sound. I'm so aware of you know, stuff like tone and stuff like that. Um, okay. But I think for anyone who's about to start their first film, treasure that experience because <laughs> you don't get it back. <laughs> okay. And so I think, if I'm honest, a lot of it was gut. I was like, mm, I love this, what I'm getting. But I will still say that I didn't decide on the soundtrack prior. I watched it and watched it and watched it. I'm like, Oh, it needs this kind of a vibe. Okay. And sometimes, like for instance, Lagoon, I sent him another song. I was like, I want this kind of feel. And 
I wanted to mention certain things and then he wrote the song. But like Mo Roots, I just showed her the film and I told her where I want her song to come in and then she wrote the song independently. And I made no changes to that song because it was it couldn't be any more perfect. Oh, that's interesting. And my assumption was to be honest since you have a background in, in music with um, oh no I forgot its name your music concert what's it called yes Akadobe yeah I thought that was going to be the easiest part of your job <laughs> um it was though it was very mm. easy yeah because I used, I used all Ugandan artists and yes. I used all artists that I worked with for Akadobe mm-hmm. and so choosing the song selection was actually very easy you're right about that mm-hmm Okay, my next question before I go to the theme because I think your theme is the bit that people ask you about the most. And before I go to that, I just wanted to know if there's anything about the film that people haven't called attention to which you were really proud of and you kind of hoped someone would ask you about it. Ooh. <laughs> um there are like a few things like the way I direct I leave like tiny little messages um one like when he's watching and waiting for her yeah with the shoes mm-hmm. he's looking for the sunflower shoes there's a montage of the shoes yeah the reason he's, he's it's his perspective of looking down and being like where the sunflower shoes and then when the sunflower shoes come there's a little freeze frame yeah and then he knows it's her but I don't know that kill your darlings comes from like yes. no one cares <laughs> oh I killed a huge darling I killed a very big huge what, darling what darling was that so the, the same time she's changing he's changing as well oh and so you see them both changing at the same time and it just wasn't working and we killed it and it made the <laughs> film better but I was very sad <laughs> the other thing mm that sometimes gets lost mm. um, but when it lands oh it makes my heart feel so good which one is the fact that she learns how to negotiate the second time around oh when, no when uh-huh. in the taxi like, uh, 3,000 miss and she's like no it's 2,000 ah. and I think sometimes people miss that yeah um because I do love subtlety but I'm learning sometimes you got to like amp it up yeah. and so for me that's the beginning of their relationship the fact that she's taken something that he's taught her even though she was like who cares who whatever like that's the beginning of their relationship okay that's interesting in the crowd as in that premiere day, that 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 bit landed i remember yeah, when yeah you got that always lands yeah It did. Yeah. It was... Okay, now let's talk about the theme. So, okay. it has a lot to do with um the way women dress and the way men react to the way we dress and the way they think it's for them. So sort of it's like I'm reacting to the way you want me to react, which is a shitty concept. And there's this 
um, ideology that we all know about how when someone is raped, one yes. of the first questions they ask them is, what were you wearing? <laughs> which is so absurd and so upsetting. Which, is the, which, which was the message that I think asked me the most and stayed the most with me when I watched your movie. Was that one of the things you had in mind? And what would you talk about that? So, actually, what I was having in mind with that is, and I have gotten someone who criticized this, actually, mm-hmm. um, who said, oh, the character says, because, um, you know, at the end, he says, uh, we need to go to the police. Yeah. And she says, for what? To say that a wardrobe choice changed my life. Yeah. And so this person's opinion was that I was saying, I as Kemiondo was saying, endorsing, like the fact that this, our protagonist comes to that conclusion is me saying that, oh, this happened because of a wardrobe choice. Now, I heavily disagree with this. Okay. Because I think, and I think I think there's a lot about Ugandan cinema, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes what we do is is we don't trust our audiences to understand nuance and like we don't need to beat a message across for someone to understand it. You have to portray real life. And so you can't expect this yes, we love the character, yes she's a feminist, yes she's part of who she is, mm-hmm. but she's also human. Yeah. And so what I wanted to do there is to show how society, like, constant, consistently saying, oh, what are we wearing, what are you wearing, it infiltrates into women. And mm-hmm. then we start to ask ourselves Ooh. that. And we start to say that. And the reaction is actually for the audience to be like, that's terrible that she thinks that. Yes. But the truth is, talk to most women who have had to deal with it that the first thing we do before anyone even asks us is we blame ourselves. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I have asked myself, what did I do to put myself in that position? Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was more important to portray truth than to portray what we hope a character would say. Mm-hmm. And so my thing with that scene is it's heartbreaking at her logic. But the truth is, that's what a lot of women end up going through. Like, I sat with a friend who blamed herself. And I, you know, I was, like I said at the screening, I don't know if you were at this particular show, Mm -hmm. that at 13, I was pulled into a taxi. And um, these guys were trying to take advantage of me. And I was screaming. And then I I, I escaped. But the first thing I kept saying Whenever I told my mom and dad, like, I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Oh, my God. Because I'm so scared of being blamed. I know. I know. But I can't not say that, oh, because I said that I'm not a feminist. Like, no. That's, that's not how it works. In the same manner, to deal with the love story, I can't say that because I'm a feminist, I don't fall in love with men. You know? <laughs> and that is something that is complicated even with me in my own life like it's very complicated for me to negotiate relationships with men Mm. because i you know we're dealing with that modern age where even men are you know hopefully learning more but they're also dealing with their own unlearning 
and there's this negotiation that is happening, to me, it's more important to portray truth than it is to portray an ideal situation. Because if we portray an ideal situation, then a lot of people feel no need to change. If there is an ideal situation, there's no need for that man to step into the shower as he does in the end. Yeah. Which is the ultimate call of this film, mm -hmm. is that men need to step into the shower, into that messy mess, into that uncomfortable zone, and help women in their fight, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Listen to women and help them. If it's wash a mini skirt, get into the shower, fully clothed, it's awkward, it's weird, wash the mini skirts. Yeah. Metaphorically speaking. Yeah, I, I think one of my favorite bits that you've talked about is how, considering we're in a patriarchal society for sure, and yeah. the women's behavior is so micromanaged, but then also they go further to reproduce what the social pressures have told them to do. Because even you grow up with your mother telling you, do not wear, do not dress up like this. They have it ingrained in them. And when you're at work, the, one of the first people to tell you your skirt is too short will be a woman, actually. Yeah, so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. In my high school, there was this female teacher who was notorious for telling us to go change our, our outfits. Yeah. But, like, why aren't you telling men to stop looking at us? <laughs> I know. Um... Uh, my next question is really a question because I think it's something I wasn't able to pick up on. Um, what was the metaphor with the flower and the color? Is there something I didn't pick up on? I really, I'm not confident enough to talk yes. about it, so I wanted to ask you about it. Well, again, you were asking how I write. I tend yes. to write basing on people. I'm actually obsessed with yellow and I'm actually obsessed with the sunflower. Mm -hmm. um, and this is going to sound very strange <laughs> and I'm aware, but it's fine. I'm an artist. People yeah. forgive. But I sometimes don't understand images until much, much later. Okay. So I, again, this is going to sound weird. <laughs> I believe the writing gods, or God, or the universe, or whoever has called me to do this writing thing, mm. places an image, and then I, I figure it out later. So okay. I don't know why I was like yellow. I don't know why I was like a, a sunflower, but I knew that I love sunflowers and I like yellow, so I just started writing. Mm. But I think for me, the sunflower, what it became was him noticing something about her that wasn't sexual. So, him noticing, oh, oh so cool. he likes, yeah. he really likes, she really likes yellow. Yeah. And that's essentially why she starts to talk to him. Mm. Because it had nothing to do with what she looked like. He was actually paying attention to who she was. Okay. And so... I started to use that, like, okay, this is going to be his motif, like how he's going to show her mm. um, that he's he's taking an interest in her beyond who she is, you know, sexual sexually. And so then, um, with the the sunflower, the sunflower. Once, I, once I once I I establish a powerful symbol, then I'll keep using. 
using it. Mm-hmm. So with the directing, when we did the the symbolic rape scene, I knew that that sunflower had to be crushed because now the sunflower represents her, right? Yes. So that one was clear. Yes. I, I love to milk a symbol. It's <laughs> very powerful. And and then with the, the skirt, I knew that like wanting it to become yellow again is not it's it's literal. Mm-hmm. But what she's actually saying is she wants it to go back to how it was. Mm-hmm. Like, she wants it to be like what it was be- before this red came and stained it. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes this this need be who she was, if we oh, understand her as yellow and sunflower, yeah. before this other color came and changed the color on her skirt and on her life. And so we know that blood is red and it stains. And unfortunately, that is the reality that rape will leave a mark on your life and it will stain and you will forever be feeling like you need to wash mm. this this mark off of your life that you didn't even cause. Yes. You know? And so I, that's what I was using. But to, to take it back to this idea about the gods dropping things in me, mm-hmm. I just found out that... that the god Oshun, you know the, you, I think I believe it's the Yoruba god, Oshun. I know the Yoruba, but not the god's name. <laughs> uh huh. Yes. So Oshun, her color was yellow, oh. and she used to wash this yellow dress. I did not know this, and she was <laughs> the goddess of seduction. Okay. Can you imagine? And so she, that's like, a connection. Her yellow dress in a in a in a in a river. Oh, what? Her color was yellow. Isn't that amazing? Oh, that was it's a spiritual connection you had no idea about. Zero. I just found this out literally at the NBC festival two weeks ago, and I was like, she was the goddess of sensuality. Yeah. Nice. And she used to wash her yellow dress mm-hmm. in the water. And like that's the image at the end. How crazy! <laughs> that's insane. That's nice. That's a nice coincidence, I guess. And especially because like the the minister they kept saying like, "Oh, you're seducing." Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Nice. Uh, for the record, I interviewed uh, Michael Wawuyo, I think way before your film had come out, and he told me how oh. he really enjoyed your set. It was so oh. good to know about your film a bit early. <laughs> he said you oh, nice. liked it. Fantastic. Yeah. I love working with him. <laughs> He's great. Okay, I think I'm going to give ask some I'm moving off concentration on the films to other things. I hope that's okay. Is there anything okay. else you want to talk yeah. about the film? Um and I really yeah. wanted to know if you had any direct influences is there any film or filmmaker that that was a major influence and more so there's some sort of similarity in what you were able to achieve with Chenvo um I would say um I'll say the film that I saw and I was like oh my god this would be so cool to see a film like this it's set in Uganda mm-hmm. and it's a film called Ayanda. Do you know the film? I've seen you talk about it a lot, but I haven't yet seen it. Yes. Yeah, but I know so, of it. 
Ava DuVernay has this like program called Array, uh-huh. and then she's she like acquires films. It's really amazing, mm-hmm. and she screens them. Mm-hmm. And there's this film called Ayanda, mm-hmm. and I went to the screening, mm-hmm. and it was it's by Sarah Bletcher. I don't know if you know her. No, I don't. She directed it, um, but it was just an amazing film mm-hmm. that I found so fascinating, and. I found it fascinating mostly because it just celebrated South Africa at the same time that it discussed a lot of the things. Okay. And it was so bright and it made me want to go visit South Africa and I was like, I've never seen a film from Uganda mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh, I just want to go to Uganda. It's always like scary, Idi Amin, slums, and I'm like, mm, you know. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to create that. So I'll say, if there's one film I can really, 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 really credit, it's actually Ayanda. Okay, that's yes. nice. And in regards to working film in Uganda, was there yeah. any, let's say, assumption you had about the industry which you found either be true or you found it to be false? <laughs> what I found to be false was that we don't have the talent, we don't have the people, we don't have the equipment. Uh-huh. Absolutely false. There's uh-huh. more than enough people in the filmmaking world um, that are capable. I was lucky to use the people I use, but I've learned of even more afterwards. Okay. Like, there are, I'm telling you, at NBC, uh-huh. I had a really big time editor come and ask me about Peter Muchivi's work. Whoa, that's cool. And, yeah, and telling me I must use this editor every time I do my, every time I, I, I shoot a film. Okay. And so we have a lot of talent that is recognized outside, and that's something I really wanted to do with Chempu, was it to be a business card for all Ugandan filmmakers that worked on it, uh-huh. to show that we don't need to import talent. Like, I hate that narrative of, we brought someone from Kenya, like, why? Yeah. This, the people here on the ground who can do this work, you know, mm-hmm. my cinematographer Isaac Afuka is amazing, like fantastic, and should have shot a lot of things that people imported people from Kenya from, but didn't. Why? Why? <laughs> and so the hope is every time Chembu wins something or is selected into these festivals, mm-hmm. it's a reminder that yes, we can uh, we can create world class cinema. Yeah. Uh, what was true? That what was negative about it? What really sucked about it? You know, this is a very interesting thing that now really sucks. What sucks is the lack of financial investment. Always. Mm-hmm. Home. Okay. Every time, I kid you not. Every time I would go to a festival mm-hmm. and I see these other films mm-hmm. from these other countries, mm-hmm. and I see the government support at the end, like the little symbol, yeah, or like ambassador, embassy of this, or department of uh, film, or department of tourism and board on their films. I feel so sad because I'm like Chimbu does not have any of that and it should and we need to start and even now we could we could um, benefit from that 
And so that's the, the suckiest part is that there's no financial investment from people on the ground. Okay. That, and consistently, every, I think every person I've interviewed from UG, every time I ask for the problem, the financial part doesn't skip out. It never does. Absolutely. I want to know about your experience with the LOL network. I had written Green as a pilot. As ah, a TV like show. a TV show, okay. So a 30-minute TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote that in 2013. Wow. And so actually that was the first idea. And then, you know, you got to let things be what they are. Yeah. And then I saw Chenvu, and then I was watching Smilf. Brilliant, brilliant show. Um, but I saw that what how they got their show made was it was originally a short film. Oh. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to write the short film script version of Green. And just to show you about preparation, I was prepared to shoot it by myself. I had already had the dates. I already had my actors. I already had locations. Mm-hmm. Two weeks before I'm supposed to shoot, mm-hmm. um, Laugh Out Loud calls me and says, you're a finalist um, and you'll pitch in three days. Oh, wow. But because I was already getting ready to shoot, like the pitch, mm. it was scary. But I knew I knew exactly what I was going to do with the script as a director. And so then when I got it, we actually had to move the shoot further. But I literally received it one week before I was meant to shoot. So I got the final yes one week before. Wow. Oh, that's really nice. You already planned to shoot green in L.A.? Yeah, I had planned everything. Same okay. actors, everything. Um, wow. But then I was going to use my own money. I was going to shoot it on, <laughs> on like $2,000. And then, you know, that's... God does his thing. And then you get $20,000. <laughs> and it was nice to just be a director, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, not be the, the caterer, the producer, <laughs> the one, the cleaner, the... <laughs> Funny because most LOL networks or laugh out loud network, it's green is a funny. Oh, thing. you can watch it. It's on Facebook. Go to my Facebook. I looked for it. I didn't find it. I thought that screened it no. live and then taken it off. Go to my Facebook. I put the link. Uh-huh. But if you go to laugh out loud and look at the videos they uploaded, they screened it live. So it's now on their Facebook. Okay, okay, I'll check out their Facebook. I looked for it on YouTube and didn't find it. That's why I thought. Yes, I it's funny. It. You don't need to choose this time. In t- in regards to your upcoming project, you have a, a short film. You talked about having a short film, right? What is it it's about, about? It's a horror satire, comedic satire about colonization. That sounds yeah. really fun. Nice. It's my favorite script. It's based in a place called Bar Zuganda. The bar becomes a country. Okay, I'm wrapping up, but I wanted to first ask you, um, Chenvu, do we have a chance at the Oscars? Well, we won an award that makes it Oscar qualifying, okay. so I will be submitting it to the Academy. So yes, of course we do have a chance. <laughs> Listen, if it's possible, it's possible, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So... Yeah. 
Um, my last question always when I have a guest, I really like to ask, what's the last thing you saw and you liked? The last movie you saw and liked recently? Mm. Well, okay, on a rom-com level, I just watched Crazy Rich Asians <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> it was just like, mm-hmm. what I loved about it is I wasn't like aware, like, I was like, oh my god, all these Asians on screen. It was just a story. Yeah. And it's so applicable to African culture. Too much. I loved it also. So applicable. Yeah. And so I really loved that. Um, what film am I? Actually, I'm obsessing over a TV show. Which one? Uh, that I watched two years ago, and then I rewatched the whole season on the plane. Back from Uganda, and now I'm obsessed again, and I want to watch it for a third time. What's that? Which is uh, Big Little Lies. Oh god, that show is so good! <laughs> yeah, I loved it the first time, and I'm obsessed with it the second time. Oh and dear. So I actually, my sweet spot is actually television, to be honest. Ah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm obsessed with the art of storytelling via television. Ah, that's My dream is Issa Rae. <laughs> ah, that's nice. That's a great person to look up to. Yeah. yeah. I'm done, actually. So I wanted to first know if there's any screenings coming up in Kampala for Chevu. Okay. I'm going to do more when I come home in December. Okay. And um, honestly, if any organization wants to do one, they just have to reach out to me. Okay. And they just have to pay for the seats. I want it to always be free seating. To always be free. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't want anyone to charge people to watch it because none of us got paid, so why should they? Everyone should go like Chenbu Instagram. At Chenbu. At K-Y-E-N-B-U. Yes. Thank you, guys. I would appreciate a like or two. On Twitter and Facebook. And Instagram. And, and Instagram. Facebook. And yes, follow Chevu so you get to know when those screenings happen and keep exactly. up to date. That's how I got to go for that stuff. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Thanks, Kemiondo, for talking to me. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. We did it. Um, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, follow Cinema Red Pill on Twitter, Facebook, and sound. subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. We have a website. It's cinemaradpill.com. Find all the episodes there. Thanks again, Kimiodo. Thank you.